Bibles, it may, in the beginning of the text, we're going to be in Luke 19, beginning in verse 28. It may say the triumphal entry. At the top of my page, it says, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. So there's a lot of ways to look at this passage of Scripture. There's a lot of angles to take. There's so much truth there that... Haley? There's so much truth there, and uh, it's just deeper than we can cover. And I'm going to be in a lot of text this morning. But I want us to think about just the thought of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And does he truly still weep today? I think he does. I think he still weeps over the same things that he wept about during that time. Hope you have your notes with you this morning. If you're joining us by way of social media, grab those. and It'll be a little bit before we get there, but I want you to be ready to follow along. What makes you weep? For all of us, that could be something different. Uh, When I heard Haley's voice before Miss Vivian ever brought her up, I just have to be honest with you, Haley. It brought a little tear to my eye. Just to hear her really singing out, and you know, and we can stand next to people sometimes, and we we don't know if they're singing or not, because it might be a Millie Vanilli going on next to you, and you don't even know it. Some of you know who that is. I, I've heard the name, uh, but what ma- what makes us weep? Some of for some of us, it's going to be a a love story, a movie we watch. Doesn't get to me too much. I don't get too much into movies. Usually by the time the movie gets going, I've done forgot what I've seen at the beginning of it, so it's hard for me to kind of follow along. For some of us, it's tragedy in our life causes us to weep sometimes. Uh, for some of us, it's uh, I'm a little sentimental toward especially small kids. I see them do something cute, and I oh, wasn't that cute. You, know, you just feel this lump coming up in your throat. Or you go into a hospital room where a small child's suffering and you know those kinds of things start to get our emotions going. Sometimes it's just a little cute puppy for animal lovers. They just see this little cute puppy and it just causes a tear to swell up in their eye. But for all of us there's something that causes us to weep. And Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem at this time but there's a lot that comes before the text that talks about him weeping. Jesus had just wept because of the death of his friend Lazarus not too many days before this time in his ministry. And he wept there I think for several reasons. He saw the hurt on his friend's faces. He had compassion for his friend Lazarus. But the main reason he wept is because the people still didn't believe that he had power over death. And that was the way he proved it was bringing Lazarus back to life what makes us weep let's read our text together wow that's a little smaller than I thought it was going to be when he had said this and you have to go back and look at the parable that Jesus was just talking about he was talking about in the parable that's what this is referring back to And he relates this in how the people will act while he is gone during the time of his separation. Basically our time. Very frightening about how 
prophetic those words are and how much they've come true. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near the Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a coat tied, and on it which no one has on it on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the coat, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the coat? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the coat, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the ground. Now if you go back and read Matthew 21, Matthew's account of this story gives a little bit more detail, some things that Luke doesn't give. And uh, Matthew talks about the tree branches that they spread on the ground. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, and here's another place where Matthew says, Hosanna. But he says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embed around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, and saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And I went on to read verses. But this whole thing of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, knowing that his time had come, think about the setting. A parade, basically of Jesus coming into the city and in times past there's many instances in scripture where Jesus is silent in other words don't tweet this out on Twitter, uh, Twitter and don't uh, do Facebook and don't call a friend or but keep it silent because his time had not yet come and he knew if this claim of, of healing and all that he could do got spread around he would be, not be able to do ministry because of the throngs of people that would follow him not because of who he was but just because of what he did but Jesus does something different here he brings himself into the public spotlight because the time was near and as he enters Jerusalem there's about a 17 mile there were some things going on the news began to spread Jesus is coming and the word Hosanna that Matthew uses it, that, or that Luke doesn't record here just means 
saved now. You see, they had been under Rome, uh, under Rome's government leadership for some time now, and they really thought. If you go back and read in, in chapter 19, thought that the time had come and the Messiah would come on the scene, and they would be freed from rule. So they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus, save now, save now. And that's all they were thinking about. Look at look back in Luke chapter 19. I think it's verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would have... They thought that Jesus was coming to physically save them from Roman rule. How misunderstood. Jesus had come to save them from so much more. But yet their eyes had been blinded. Number one in your notes. When all this is going on, there's preparation for the king. Jesus says, go ahead of me. Find a coat that no one has ever written, ever ridden. In other words, prepare for me to enter the city. And you, you know, we we think about riding a coat into the city. Well, that's just not a very good way to enter. But in that day and time, the riding of the coat was a, a symbol of of victory. It was a symbol of peace. When someone would come riding in, when royalty, a king from another province, would come in riding in on a coat, it meant they were coming in peace. So Jesus said, bring this coat that no one has ever ridden. Some things about that coat, that, that means that that coat knew come under submission to Jesus. Now a donkey can do that, but yet we can't. If you don't believe that, go try to ride a horse or a coat that no one has ever ridden. It says that the disciples laid their clothes on the donkey. Now you can lay a, a mat up on a horse. If you do it really, really gently, sometimes you can get by the first time without him bucking it off. But most of the time he's going to go nuts just because there's something else on his back. It also shows authority over nation. But the people had a mindset, not that Jesus would come and rule over them, but he would just come to deliver them. And when he come riding in on a colt, I wonder what went through their mind. You see, if, if we prepare today, and, and many of us do, we uh, prepare for guests to come to our home. And uh, Haley, what happens when somebody special is coming to your house? What's one of the first things that you hear from mom's mouth? Be polite. Sean, what, what's something that you might hear? If somebody's coming to your house, what's something that you might hear? Clean up that room. Why? They got a dirty one at their house. I don't understand it. At my house, I have this table that I can never seem to keep cleaned off. And the first thing I hear 
when somebody's coming is I can say it word for word you have got to clean off the table I think she has it recorded and she's not really saying it anymore she just plays it and eventually I get the table cleaned off but most time I have to hear it three or four times you know how that goes but there's things we do when somebody's coming in to prepare for someone to come. It's a special guest. Or, or maybe you're just having dinner with some folks or whatever. But when royalty came to town, there were things that they did. Just the, the welcoming, the, the, just the inviting in. When we have royalty come in, uh, you might see a bulletproof limo you might see security coming before them sweeping the area just trying to make sure it's safe and uh on tv saying you know we need help downtown cleaning up the streets or whatever it might be but there's preparation for royalty to come in but rather than coming in on a donkey we might think they would be riding a white stallion you know, Re Revelation 19 says that will happen one day. When Jesus returns, he will come in on a white horse. And I like what Greg Lowry says about that. He, he calls it Air Horse One. <laughs> he just hadn't arrived yet. But there's coming a day when he'll come in on a white horse. And he won't be coming to bring peace. But that'll be a symbol of war against all sinfulness and evil that's left on the earth. But well, we clean up, we prepare, we straighten up, we get ready. People laid out garments, took their own coats and cloaks off and laid them on the ground so you wouldn't have to walk in on dirty ground. There was a time of preparation. And you know, when we come on Sunday morning, there should be a time of preparation. We expect God to meet with us. We should be preparing during the week for Him to come and to meet. And I like what Miss Vivian said, just leave all that stuff out there and concentrate and meet with him. But there was also celebration of the king. Haley, I have another question. What's one thing that you celebrate at your house? Christmas? Anybody had a Easter? Anybody had a birthday at your house lately? Probably everybody has one once a year, right? So you celebrate those birthdays. Yeah, we celebrate. We celebrate, you know, if if our hometown team wins a state championship or our professional sports team wins, they have a parade. We have celebration, time of celebration. But in that time of celebration, there's also somebody that may be weeping. What about the team that didn't win? Have you ever watched it on TV and you see the tears coming down? Even sometimes big boys and girls' faces. It's that disappointment of not winning. But there was a time of celebration here as Jesus came in and they were shouting Hosanna. Matthew 21, 9 says this, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted. Those ahead and those behind. The parade following Jesus from both sides. Shouted Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Save now. The palm branches symbolize goodness and victory. Well, there's a lot of symbolism in this passage of Scripture because in the end, 
Revelation tells us that once again, at the end time, when Jesus comes again, for those who have surrendered their life to his lordship, we will once again wave palm branches in praise of our returning king. We're going to celebrate. And we're going to do it the old-fashioned way with waving of the palm branches and shouting, Hosanna. Listen to what Revelation 7, 9 says. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. We're going to celebrate again one day. They celebrated when he was coming into the city. And we're going to celebrate again. The celebration spread through the whole city. People threw down their cloaks and recognized Jesus as the Messiah from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. You see, they didn't go get the mother donkey for Jesus to ride on. They got the foal, just like Zechariah had said. They proclaimed that Jesus was coming to be king. They thought the hour had arrived, that God would save them from the Roman rule. But they misunderstood some things. They failed to see some things. They failed to see that Jesus was riding on a coat. He was coming as the king of peace. He was coming to bring peace between them and the enmity that had been placed between them and God because of their sinfulness. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither neither let it be afraid. Jesus came to give us peace. Psalm 29.11 says this, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. But they also failed to see that Jesus was riding on an animal of burdens. Coming as the king who could take away the burdens that they carried. It says, Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29 says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. You see, they failed to realize that. All they could see was what was in front of their face. All they had interest in was the, the, uh, the same things that we do today. Instant gratification and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And they failed to see Jesus as he, as he really was. They failed to see Jesus was riding the animal that symbolized meekness. You see, the donkey was really strong. And meekness means strength under control. Some people see Jesus as being this little weak young, scrawny. But I've never seen a man who walked everywhere he went and built houses and furniture that was weak. I can imagine Jesus being very strong. Meekness, strength under control. He came in as a conquering king under control. He had avoided the the times of his crucifixion for, for several years before, but his time had come. And it would come a time where they would not take his life, but he would yield his life. And we'll celebrate that resurrection next Sunday morning. But number three in your notes, there was lamentation by the king. We've seen the celebration of the king 
and the preparation for the king, but also the lamentation by the king, the, the weeping of the king. When he came into the city and he saw their, their attitude and their lifestyle and, and all that was going on, there was weeping as they celebrated. That word weep there means to burst into tears, to wail out loud. It wasn't something where he, he just kind of hung his head as some of us do as men, especially we, we see that soft spot in a movie and we want to cry and we just try to keep that tear and we're you know, sitting here with a straight face. No, it wasn't that kind of weeping. Jesus wailed out. He sobbed, he mourned, he was heartbroken over Jerusalem. He beheld the city. It means that he looked out over the city and he just didn't take a glance. But he looked out over the city and he thought about, I believe what he thought, he, he thought about what it could have been. If the Jews had been who they were supposed to be and the, the leadership of the world and the nation that he formed them to be, he thought about what they could have been. And then he thought about what they were and, and, the, and the obstacles that they had become even to his own cause. And that caused him to weep. He thought about the city that he, that he loved so well and that he knew that would become under not just Roman control then, but Roman destruction in A.D. 70 when the city was overtaken and over 600,000 Jews were killed. Another 100,000 or so were taken into captivity. And, and to fulfill the prophecy, the Bible says that there was not to be a stone left on another. History tells us that every stone of the temple was dismantled so that there would not be one stone left on another. There would not be a place to start over when that destruction, it was complete destruction. Jesus wept because he knew what could have been. But he also knew their hearts. And the people had rejected the way of peace. They had rejected the Messiah himself. And they had other ideas of why he would even come And as you look back, he saw how sin had caused that separation from God. I think that's one of the neat things about the plan of salvation. The, the whole creation and the fall of man and, and the coming of Christ for the redemption of sin is that God knew all along. It was this great big master plan that, that he would put into place because he knew that we would fail. And because of the free will that he gave men, he knew that men would choose self over relationship with, with God. And he knew there had to be a price to pay. And he chose knowing that those who celebrated, the same people that celebrated in the streets, would just in a few days turn their back on the Messiah. And those same people that celebrated him would crucify him. Instead of yelling Hosanna to the king, they would be saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because the people did not accept him 
and the city would be destroyed. Look at Luke 19:14. This is in the middle of the parable that Jesus had told them and it was referring back to from verse 28 when it said when he had said this look back at verse 14 of chapter 19 but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying we will not have this man reign over us that was their heart attitude not much different than today when you try to tell people about Jesus and how he wants to come in and, and, and forgive them of their sin and take over their life, and when you get to that point, nobody's going to tell me what to do. If I have to change this and I can't do that, then I'm not interested. And it's not about what you can and can't do. It's about bringing your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So, Because he, he doesn't set those parameters to harm you. Those parameters are set to protect us and we can't see that so Jesus wept because of his people his own people think about that when does it hurt the most when the closest to you are the ones that betray you and that's what had happened to Jesus John 1.11 says he came to his own and his own did not receive him And as he looked ahead to our time, he also saw how much you and I would need a Savior. And he still weeps today because of our rejection of him as the one who can save us from our sin. We want to try to do it ourselves, just like they did in their day. Then we see the condemnation from the king. Jesus came into the city early the next morning after having spent the night in Bethany. and Mark 11 records that. And the Bible says that he was hungry. And he went to a fig tree. And I don't understand all of this because it says that the fig tree was not in season. But because the fig tree could not produce fruit, Jesus cursed the tree and it died. But then he goes into the temple. Look at verse 45. He goes into the temple and he begins to drive out those who bought and sold in it. You see, this is the second cleansing of the temple. I think there's a parallel here. There's a picture here of our temple. The Bible says that we are the temple of God. And many times we get in the same position as this physical temple. We've come to know Jesus. We've been forgiven our sin. It's been cast out. And the next thing you know, because of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, we get to feeling pretty good about ourselves, and those things begin to creep back in. And the next thing you know... Jesus needs to come in and clean out the temple again. Ever been there? I have. I think we can all say we have. We need a cleansing every now and then, but Jesus comes into the temple and he begins to clean out the temple. It, it, it begins to, to drive up some righteous anger. And he drove out those who bought and sold in it. 
this physical temple, the court of the Gentiles, this was the only place where the Gentiles could come in. We talked about this some weeks ago. And this was the only area where the the Gentiles could come in and mingle with the Jews. And, and this was basically a place of evangelism. Because it was the only place that they could come, the Gentiles could come to meet God and the Jews would interact with them and they would begin to tell them about the coming Messiah. But rather than doing that, they had thought, well, this would be a really good place. It would be convenient. You know, logic made sense. The Jews are going to be coming from out of town. And rather than having them go down the street to exchange money and to be able to buy the animals for sacrifice, we'll just set it up in the temple. We'll just do what we're supposed to be doing out there in here. And we'll just set up the money changers and the selling of the doves. And we'll just set that up right here in the temple court. Because, by the way, it's just where the Gentiles come in. Not much like, not much unlike the attitude of the day of our church day we've defiled the house of God by some of the things we do and we've told people that you know well you're not you're just a Gentile you're not really dressed well enough to come in here or you're not socially economically spiritually good enough to come in here we haven't maybe said those words out loud but sometimes by the attitude that we give as a church I'm talking about the church as a whole they know a whole lot more about what we're against than what we're for because we'll be sure to stand up and tell them what we're against but we need to be telling them that what we're for we're for them being able to have their sin forgiven too just like mine was forgiven and, and relating to them on a personal level but it was becoming a place of a marketplace and Jesus says my house is supposed to be a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves it was a place for those who had taken already taken advantage of the less fortunate if, uh, for them to come in and hide after they had committed their wicked deeds and to come together and talk about how much money they had made and all those kinds of things. But how many of us come to worship on Sunday with known sin in our life week after week? Things that we've done outside the church. And we allow the clutter of life and our temple becomes defiled and we just need a Jesus cleansing. The church should be a place to worship and meet with God, but it's also a hospital for sinners. And I'm so thankful that we can invite people in regardless of where they've been and what they've done or how they live and be welcoming to those who may not be quite like us. And Jesus remained there and gave us a great picture of how we're to use the church. Mark records and Matthew records that he did miracles. Luke records here that he taught daily in the temple. Now remember he only has a few days. But a lot went on in those last few days. There was teaching, healing of the blind and the lame. A lot went on. 
And Jesus really gave a picture of what the church is supposed to be all about. To proclaiming the word of God and, and meeting the needs of people, whether they be physical or spiritual. A place for sinners to get some medicine, some hospital care. What we do or don't do, how we treat a guest may be the only picture of Jesus they'll ever see. Well, oh, I need to remember that. We'll be, will we be a bridge or a barrier to the person who needs to meet Jesus? And sometimes it's not what we do, but it's what we don't do. Because we come in defiled. And we need to have a Jesus cleansing. Application in your notes. We're just going to talk through these. Are you prepared for his next coming? You see, he came as the king of peace, riding on a donkey. He's going to come as a king of war, riding on a horse the next time. Are you prepared for his next coming? Will you celebrate or would his coming bring sorrow? You see, for some, I believe even then, for the Romans that thought that their reign was going to soon end, there was probably some sorrow going on. But will his second coming cause celebration or sorrow? But the next one, does your life cause him to weep? Or does your life cause him to rejoice? You see, even in the midst of Jesus weeping, I'm sure there was a remnant there. There was a faithful few that Jesus could probably look at. And even some of those tears would have been tears of joy. Is your life a bridge or a burden for others to come to Christ? Are you a stepping stone or a stumbling block? Do we need a cleansing? Does our temple need to be cleansed this morning? What do you need to be cleaned of? But I want to tell you something. You can't clean up enough to come to Jesus. All you can do is come to Jesus and let him clean you up. Amen. I'll never be good enough to come to Jesus. I'm just so thankful that he accepts me like I am. And then he starts to clean me up. Let's pray together.